Good afternoon. Glad you're back. We are looking at Ephesians 6, and I want to continue our study on a home that is ordered by the Lord. And really, we're talking about what every home needs. And the template for the home is God's Word. And I appreciate so much the encouragement that you have given from the lessons that have been presented thus far. And I hope and pray that they will be beneficial to you. The goal is to go to heaven and to get our children following behind us so that they too one day can be in heaven. And so I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 6 and think, some, think about some things that relate to the duty of parents. Now we're going to talk about children and their role and responsibilities in the home, but we'll probably wait and do that next week because I want to just spend some time and talk about the responsibility that rests upon us. The Scriptures provide us with a number of examples of good parents, godly parents. You remember back in Genesis chapter 18, God had already called upon Abraham to become the father of the Hebrew nation. Prior to destroying the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, God said of Abraham in the long ago, For I know him that he will command his children after him to keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice. To me, that says a lot about the character of Abraham and the confidence that God had in him. And then, of course, we can't help but consider the life of Joshua. Joshua being the successor to Moses. And you remember in Genesis chapter, or rather in Joshua chapter 24 at verse 15, Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, we have a record of a lady by the name of Hannah. Hannah was barren, desperately wanted a child, prayed fervently to God to grant that request. And God heard her prayer and granted that request. And you remember she said of that child, Samuel, as long as he lives, he will be lent or granted to the Lord. And then she placed him under the tutelage of the prophet. So there's a lot to be said for parenting. In no way would I stand before you and say that I have it all figured out or that I was the perfect father. I made my share of mistakes. Many of us, as parents, we have made our share of mistakes. Are there things that I would do differently if I had the opportunity? The answer would be yes. And I would imagine that all of us here today who have children can look back and think about, you know, I wish I'd done this. Or maybe I wish I had done that. But the past is the past. You can't rewrite it. So what you have to do is forge ahead. In looking at Ephesians chapter 6, let's look again at what Paul said. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. Now look at verse 4. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. 
Why do you think the Apostle Paul addressed fathers? I think the reason is because the father, the husband, is to be the spiritual leader in the home. And you can go back to Genesis chapter 3. We looked at that last week, the headship of the man. We noted Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 21 and following. The submissive role of the wife or the mother and the responsibility resting upon the husband or the father. And that's no small task entrusted into his care. And really as fathers or husbands, we are stewards of that role of that work. And you remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4? That which is required of a steward is that a man be found faithful. When it's all said and done, as a father or mother, we want to be found faithful. We want to do our best and hopefully, prayerfully lead our children to heaven. The first thing that I want to just maybe point out before we look at some various characteristics, I guess the first thing has to do with being overly demanding. Look at verse 4 again. Paul said, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now let me qualify everything by saying that the mother is a leader in the home, just as the father is. Now they have different roles and responsibilities. Paul would say she is to guide the house. So they're two separate individuals. They have differing responsibilities, but the goal is the same to lead their children in the paths of righteousness. Paul here is saying that if we're not careful, we can be so excessively hard. We might use the word harsh, overbearing, that rather than our children complying with what we're teaching them and instructing them, they go the opposite direction. Look over in Colossians chapter 3. I want you to see the companion text in Colossians 3. Note, if you would, what Paul said in Colossians chapter 3. Down in verse 20, Paul writes, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Now, in Ephesians 6.1, Paul would say, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's the right thing to do. But now he's saying that those who are submissive to their parents, they please the Lord. And that's the goal. We want to please the Lord. But note verse 21, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. I think that all of us as parents have expectations for our children and we want them to use the God-given ability and intelligence that they have ultimately to the glory of God, but for their betterment. But it may be the case that if we're so strict and so harsh, and so overbearing, they fail to use those talents or abilities. And it might be the case that, sadly, we compare children and say, you know what, if you were more like your brother or more like your sister, and we raise the bar. Well, children are different. They have differing personalities. Now, again, I only have one child. But I understand that every child is different. They have different personalities. They're not the same person. Now, they come from the same source if they're biological children, but nonetheless, they're different. So we don't want to be excessively hard or harsh or overly critical 
Or every time they make a mistake, just put the wood to them. They're all going to make mistakes. But what we have to do is temper our expectations from time to time and recognize that they're human beings. We're not perfect as parents. And if we're not perfect, we can't expect our children to be perfect. And I think sometimes we expect so much out of them that in their mind they just say, you know what, what's the use? I can't, I can't live up to their goals or aspirations. Now, there's a second thing I want to share with you. First, we don't need to be overly demanding, but secondly, devotion. We want to teach our children devotion. To whom? To God. And by that I mean we want to exemplify and educate our children about loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and then loving our fellow man. So with that being said, go back and look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 for a moment. Go back and look at Deuteronomy, the 6th chapter. You remember in Deuteronomy chapter 5, listen to what the Lord said in the long ago. Verse 28, The Lord heard the voice of your words which you spoke to me, and the Lord said to me, I've heard the voice of the words of this people, which they have spoken to you, that they are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had a heart in them that they would fear me, and always keep all my commandments that it may be well with them, and with their children forever. God's desire was that the parents and the children would prosper. And the means by which that would be accomplished would be reverencing God, standing in awe of Him, honoring His Word. Now that being said, let's look at, note if you would in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, you remember what John said, God is love, in 1 John 4, verse 8? In verse 19, John said we love Him because He first loved us. We are the ones who demonstrate a heart of love. Our children are going to learn something about love by how we treat them. And our love for God can be such that our children learn about the nature and character of God. I mean, you think about, we talk about God is love, and He is, and God demonstrated that love by sending Jesus. Well, what Moses is saying here is, we are to love God with every fiber of our being. Not only are we to love Him, but we're to have loyalty in our hearts toward Him. Look at verse 6, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Now look at verse 7. And you, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. There has to be a sense of loyalty to God. Understanding how good and gracious God has been to us to pass on His commands to our children. Was it not David who said of the long ago, O oh, taste and see, that the Lord is good? Our children can learn something about the goodness and graciousness of God by our devotion to the Lord. 
in our teaching, we've got to teach them and instruct them the importance of loving God, but also to love one another. There are a lot of children today that have not been taught to respect their fellow man. And look at the mayhem and trouble that we have in this country, in the Mid-South area, because children haven't been taught the sanctity of human life. And we'll come back to that in a minute. So let me just ask this question. We talk about devotion to God and demonstrating before our children genuine love for God. We love them, yes, but we want to stress to them the importance of a loving God and also the need to love Him, to reciprocate that love. Well, what's the danger if as a parent we fail to teach our children to discern between right and wrong? If we fail to teach them the good book, that is the Bible, the book of all books. Many of us have invested in our children. We've done so financially because we believe that education is important. We spent a lot of money on schooling when Braden was a little fellow. We probably spent more, I know we did, we spent more sending him to elementary school, through high school, and then college than that tab was far higher than the combination of my education and Nancy's. So we believe in education. It's important. But if we teach our children to read, write, and if they learn a host of other subjects, that's wonderful. It's great. They need that. But if we neglect teaching them the Bible, that's going to be a problem. How then are they going to learn to make decisions in life and to base those decisions? What are they going to base them on? Can't be society. Society can be wrong. Can't be just how they feel because feelings can be wrong. There's got to be a gold standard. That gold standard is what? It's God's Word. What happens when mamas and daddies fail in the area of teaching and instructing. Turn over, if you would, to the book of Judges. Look at Judges and note, if you would, what the record has to say. Look at verse 6. Uh, Judges 2, I'm sorry. Judges 2. When Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. So you've got really two generations of people here. People were faithful during the lifetime of Joshua. They were faithful during the, during the lifetime of the elders who outlived him. But look at verse 10. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which He had done for Israel. As a result of that, here's what the record says. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the bells 
And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. They bowed down to them. They provoked the Lord to anger. How could that have happened? How is it that you now have a generation of people that have come on the scene and they don't know anything about God or all the great works that He's done for God? The only answer is somebody dropped the ball. They forgot to teach. They failed to teach. It might be the case that we get so caught up in life and our secular responsibilities that we neglect our spiritual responsibilities. We've got, we've got to be an example in the home, don't we? We looked at 1 Peter chapter 3 about that believing wife that's married to an unbelieving husband. Well, she's not ramming God's Word down his throat, but she's exemplifying the virtues of New Testament Christianity. As a, as a parent, we want to exemplify what it means to be a New Testament Christian. But we also have to educate them my theory is that we, that we have a lot of young people in the church today. Some have already gotten beyond adolescence. Some are, now, some are now young married. Some are young parents. But they were not taught what I believe to be are the fundamentals of divine truth. And so what do you see? You see some of those children that are no longer faithful to God. They don't have an adequate understanding of what the Bible teaches when it comes to the church, New Testament worship. We've got to ground them in the truth of God if we want to make sure that they stay with the Lord. It's, an imperat it's not optional. It's an imperative. Now, look over, if you would, to Psalm 78. I want you to see something in connection with what we're talking about. Listen to the psalmist in this great psalm. Note verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord. Christianity is perpetuated by what means? Teaching. If we don't teach, then ultimately, the sad fact of the matter is, lives are going to be lost. Souls will not be taught, that being our children. And so he said, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He has done. For He established a testimony in Jacob, appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children. That's what we said in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Therein lies the template. He said that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, what the psalmist is saying here is, it's our responsibility as parents, now we're talking about application here, it's our responsibility to ingrain in our children the truths of Almighty God. Wouldn't it be wonderful if our children heard us talking about 
the blessings of God and how richly, how richly God has blessed us in this life. You know, James said every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above. God's the source of all of our blessings. And so as parents, to attribute our blessings to God and to tell our children, look, you're blessed because of a loving God in heaven. And then look at what he says. That the generation to come might know them, the children who, were, who would be born, that they might arise or may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. Now there comes a point in time when our children are on their own, right? They're going to make their own decisions. But we have the responsibility of trying to develop them so that when they become of age and they make their own decisions in life, that they make wise decisions. That they learn to make the right decisions. If that's going to happen, then we've got to set before them that gold standard, God's Word. And say, look, here's how, here is how you make decisions in life. You allow God's Word to guide you. It's the template, the blueprint for everything. You want to be successful as a parent? Read the Word of God. You want to be successful as, as a husband or wife? Read the Word of God. You want to be successful in the business world? Read the Word of God. You want to have success in dealing with other people? Read the Word of God. Everything all goes back to this one source, doesn't it? But note what it said. Verse 8. And may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation that did not set its heart aright or did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. He said the children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows turned back in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God. They refused to walk in His law and forgot His works and His wonders that He had shown them. What happened as a result of that? They went into captivity, didn't they? And one of the things that God was saying to parents and to children in the long ago was that it may be well with you that you might live long on the land or in the land. What land? The land of Canaan in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and following. So the pathway, the key to success was honor God's Word. Now let me show you another passage, I think, and it's not anything new, but I think it's an important passage to consider in terms of trying to develop within our children the ability to discern right and wrong. And that entails equipping them so that they will have a strong and genuine faith in God. Because ultimately, that's what's important, isn't it? Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. You remember in verse 3, Paul said, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Here you have three generations. Just like back in Judges chapter 2, you had three generations. 
People were faithful during the days of Joshua. They were faithful during the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. But then another generation arose that didn't know the Lord. Well, here you have Timothy, a product of a household of faith. Timothy is a man of faith. His grandmother Lois was a person of faith. And his mother Eunice was a person of faith. That wasn't by accident, was it? Certainly not. Now turn over to chapter 3. Look at chapter 3 and note verse 15. In verse 15, Paul said, And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. When did Timothy begin receiving instruction in the home? As a young person, as a child, an infant. During those formative years, isn't it important to lay the right foundation? If you want to have a home that's going to be stable, you've got to build it on a good foundation. By the same token, if you want to have, if you want to have a rock-solid life, you need to build on the right foundation. That foundation is the Lord. And that's what, that's what happened. Matter of fact, go back and look at verse 14. Paul said, As for you, continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Sometimes, sadly, children get caught up in a wayward lifestyle. They get involved with drugs, alcohol. They begin fraternizing with the wrong kind of people. Well, there are a lot of godly homes. They didn't learn that at home. I can think about parents that they sought to the best of their ability to walk within the pathway of righteousness. But as their children grew older and began making their own decisions, what happened? They didn't honor what their parents had taught them. That happens, doesn't it? I don't have control over my child when he or she leaves the home. But as long as they're under my roof or as long as they're under your roof, who has authority? You do. Now that brings up another thought here. In terms of direction, as parents, we want to have a good relationship with our children, don't we? I don't know of any parent that doesn't want to have the love and affection and appreciation from their children. We all desire that. And I think that's a noble thing. But there are a lot of parents today Rather than fulfilling the role of a mama or a daddy, they want to be a buddy. They want to just hang out with their kids and be like one of the one of the. Look, that that's one of the reasons why we have problems today. The old saying that went all the way back to Harry S. Truman. He had a placard on his desk that said, "The buck stops here." Where's a buck stop in your home? Who's in control of your home? I've been in the grocery, as you have. I've been in other stores. And if I didn't know better, the children were the ones that were directing their parents. The old idea of the tail wagging the dog. Well, you know what? 
as a parent, we have the responsibility of rearing our children in the Lord. They may like it or they may not like it. But my job is to do what God said, and that's it. They may not like it, but they'll get over it. They'll get over it in time, and if they don't, that's their problem. I remember when I was a young fellow, I was in the ninth grade, and I had bowed up and bucked my dad on one occasion, and that was the wrong thing to do. And I remember the following morning, this happened the night before, and I remember the next morning, my dad was at the breakfast table getting ready to go to school. And my dad told me before he left, he said, let me tell you what, you need to understand something. As long as you're in this house, you'll do what I say. Now that may not be popular in homes in America today, but that's what needs to be said. It's, look, my job's not to be your friend as a parent. I want to be your friend. But my job is to be the role leader, the mentor, the teacher, the instructor, the parent. We got some folks out there that they wear the title of a parent, but they are anything and everything but a parent. The mama has the responsibility of guiding the house. That means as long as your children are under your care, that's your responsibility. And if you want to talk about doing the work of the Lord, that's your work. Just like it's the Father's work to be the spiritual leader in the home. That's my job. Now there's nothing wrong with going on mission trips and doing a lot of good things. And I've seen, young, and I'm not criticizing but I've seen young people, they want to place their children somewhere with, so that they might go to some mission point and do, and, and do some kind of mission endeavor. Look, your mission is in the home right now. You can do that when you get older. Now again, I'm not criticizing, I'm just stating some facts here. I think sometimes we forget our primary responsibility is where? It's in the home. Let me just also add something else. I know our time's almost gone. We'll come back and pick some of this up later. As a parent, as a father or mother, it's my responsibility to teach my children how to dress in public. It's not the child's decision. Why? Because they don't know what's right sometimes. Get out half naked? Whose fault is that? That's, not the, that's the parents' fault. We've got some mamas and daddies that need to learn something about decorum, dignity, modesty. I've seen young folks, some of the things that they wear, just wrong. I'm going to go a step further. Sinful. You understand what I'm saying? It's sinful. You can't dress like the world and be a child of God. It doesn't work that way. So when young people want to get out and parade their body around town, whose responsibility, who's the grown-up that says, wait a minute, whoa, we can't do that. 
Now let me tell you what, as a parent, if you don't do that, you're in the wrong. And you are sinning. That's your responsibility. It's not your child's, it's your responsibility. Now there'll come a day in time when they make their own decision, but as long as they're under your roof, they need to do what you say. And by that I simply mean you're the one that sets the standard. And you're the one that says, ho, 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 no, no, sir, no, ma'am, you are not walking out of here in that. Get out here and parade up and down the streets, half-dressed, looking like somebody in the world. Shame, shame on parents that allow their children to do that. Now, you know, in Matthew chapter 5, you remember Jesus talked about those who look on a woman to lust after her? Sometimes folks will say, well, you know, men, they just, that's just how they are. Well, look, you don't have to contribute to it. You don't have to be parading yourself in such a way so that men lust after you. If you do that, listen, you are sinning. Do you understand that? That is sin. Now, lust and adultery go hand in hand. And what Jesus is saying is that when people look at another person and lust after them, and then they begin to formulate in their mind, well, you know what, I'd really like to have her, I'd like to have him. They've crossed the line, and they're in sin. Now that's just the plain fact of the matter. Let me tell you what's wrong with the church in a lot of places. We've let the world come into the church. Paul said, we're not to be conformed to the world, but we are to be transformed. So as a mom, as a dad, when it comes to how your children dress, that is on you. I want to make that abundantly clear, emphatically clear. I don't want you to leave here with any questions or misunderstandings. I have... And I hate to say this. I have seen girls in the Lord's church, and I'm not thinking about anybody here right now. Their dress in a picture was so short. I'm talking about up to here. And I'm thinking, now, what kind of daddy would let his daughter out in public like that? Have you lost your mind? What kind of mother? Read Proverbs 31 about that godly mother, that godly woman. Do you think that woman in Proverbs 31 would allow her daughter to dress in a quote-unquote provocative way? No. No. As Truman said it right, the buck stops here. Now look, these kind of lessons don't make you popular. I'm not a politician, I'm a preacher. And so, if you like it, wonderful. If you don't like it, here's my response. Tough. Tough. I'm not backing up. You need to know that. I will not back up. I said that last week, I'm going to say it again. I'm going to stand for what God said in His Word. And if people like it, wonderful. If they don't like it, guess what? They don't have to like it. 
But I'm the one that has to stand before God and give an account of what I teach, not you. You have the responsibility as to whether or not you're going to be a hearer and doer of His Word, just as I do. Plain enough? You know what? We've gotten to the point in the church that we want to just get up and, and just soothe everybody. We don't want to say anything controversial. We don't want to rock the boat. Well, let me tell you what. The boat needs to be rocked. And God's Word is what rocks the boat. Period. That's it. We'll have to pick up next week. It might be that you're here today and you're not a Christian. I want to encourage you to consider becoming a child of God. The reason is because you can't go to heaven without being a child of God. You've got to put your faith and trust in Jesus as the Son of God, repent of your sins, confess His name, and then be buried with Him in baptism. That's what the book says. The psalmist said, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. And then you've got to be faithful to Him. Honor His word. If you do that, one day He'll say, Well, well done, good and faithful servant. If you're here today, maybe your life's not what it ought to be and you need to maybe make things right with a loving God. And in your heart of hearts, you want the prayers of the church. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you as we stand and sing.